Welcome to Alpine. My name is Luke. I am the associate campus director here at this, at this campus. Um, and I'm really excited to get into this message today, honestly. I, I couldn't have asked for a better worship set to, to back it up, too. It's, it is all about, uh, all about Jesus today. Um, and, and if you guys have missed the last couple of weeks, we have begun a very deep dive into the Gospel of Mark, uh, which is one of the four Gospels about Jesus Christ's life. Um, I, I don't want to get too far into it today, but I'm going to give a quick recap of the last two sermons. The first week, we had Austin up here breaking down just the first verse of the book and giving us some context about the author, whose name is John Mark. Uh, and the first verse of the book really lays out the main idea, which is the gospel is good news. We've got good news to respond to. And we're going to get into that a little bit deeper today. And then last week, Dean came up and shared a little bit of the historical and then prophesied context that the nation of Israel at the time would have had, expecting a prophesied Messiah. And this all came in the form at that time of John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, sent to prepare the way for him before he even got onto the scene. Um, again, if you guys did miss those weeks and you feel like you, you, you are missing out on them, you can find all of our sermons on alpinechurch.org slash AC at a sermon link section. We have all of them recorded. Or in a podcast format, wherever you would find those, Spotify or, or Apple Podcasts, you can find them there. And that is going to be a great way to keep up on this series uh, because we are spending at least three months in this book. We're really taking our time with it. So if you fall behind, it's going to be a great way to keep up. Uh, and, and today we're moving, just to demonstrate how much time we're taking, we're almost into the second half of the first chapter of this book. We're, we're going through verses 9 through 15 of Mark 1 today. And I am excited about it because it is one of my favorite stories from Jesus' life. Um, he, it, it was when he went to get baptized by John the Baptist, and then the subsequent stint he spent in the wilderness for 40 days fasting and being tempted by Satan right afterwards. And then what he said when he came home. Those are all three very important things that we're going we're gonna to look at today. Uh, and, and baptism is a, a time for celebration. It's a, it's a great, cool event in a new believer's life. It is, is symbolizing you turning away from your life of sin, turning towards a life in Christ. And I know I, when I got baptized, we had like a barbecue, like a little party, or you might go out to lunch or whatever. You might do something to celebrate. Instead, Jesus went and didn't eat for 40 days and then hung out in the wilderness, which seems like a really weird thing to do. But the scriptures that we're going to get into today say that the Spirit led him out there, and, and this was a significant action. So it wasn't just a weird, a weird thing that Jesus did. It, it, was, it was a really important thing. So we'll break that down. But before I get into our main point for the day, I just want to ask you guys a question do you have somebody in your life who just completely and totally gets you and understands you totally? Maybe it's like your spouse or maybe it's your parents or your kids. I know I have some friends like that as well as, as my wife who, who really understands me. And they, they get my strengths, they get my humor, they get my passions, they get my weaknesses. And in spite of everything that they understand about me, they love me, which is amazing. It's a huge blessing for me. But even more than that, even more than that blessing is that Jesus gets me. He gets us. He gets everything about us. Better than you, you could even get it about yourself. And that is truly remarkable because Jesus is God. Jesus is, is fully God. He is, he is the all-powerful God of the universe. And, and he gets us deeper than we can even understand ourselves. And this passage really displays that well. We're going to break down his baptism, the temptation he went through, and then what he says when he comes home about how we ought to respond to this relationship that's been offered to us. 
But first things first, let's read the first couple of lines, or let's, sorry, let me get into the, the points about his baptism. Is that his baptism was significant in at least three ways. It declared the start of his public ministry at the time, uh, it affirmed him as the second person of the Trinity, and it showed his willingness to identify with humanity. And now we'll go ahead and read the first two verses today. It says, One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And just reading through that once doesn't necessarily obviously point to those three, those three things I just said, declaring his ministry, be, being the second person of the Trinity, and identifying with humanity. But as we, we break down even just the practice of baptism, we'll start to get into that. So last week, we talked about John the Baptist. So we did address the practice of baptism a little bit. Again, you can check that out some, uh, on our, our uh, podcast platforms. But for our purposes today, I'll just do a quick recap. Baptism is a symbol of repentance from an old way of life, an old sinful way of life, to a new God-honoring way of life. And the actual practice of baptism is done by submerging somebody into a body of water or sprinkling them with water or something along those lines. The water, it doesn't really matter which one it is. John, John did it in the Jordan River. We have a baptismal font behind this curtain that we do our baptisms in. When I was a kid, I got baptized in the jacuzzi in my backyard. So it really doesn't matter what water you do it in. It's not that it is holy somehow. It doesn't set you apart by its power. It's just a symbol representing an internal decision and repentance to turn towards Jesus, and then the resulting change that comes out of that. The water doesn't do the work the Holy Spirit does in you, but baptism is a public declaration of an internal decision. So there we kind of get our answer for the the first point. It's a public declaration. And and Jesus showed up one day out of the blue to get baptized by John the Baptist. Uh, But this does raise another question of of why would Jesus get baptized? Because if, if baptism is about repentance... Did Jesus need to repent? Did he need to turn towards God? And the quick answer is no, he did not. The Bible is clear. Jesus was without sin. In fact, this is imperative for the plan of salvation to be carried out later. Jesus had to be entirely without sin. So why did he get baptized then if he didn't have anything to repent for? But again, this was a public declaration that he made. This was his first public act, actually. Again, we're in the first chapter of Mark still, and and he is now getting baptized. It's his first public act. With one exception in the Gospel of Luke, he is a child at the temple found teaching. But that story uh, isn't found in the other three Gospels. And this is the first story where we have direct affirmation from God the Father on Jesus. Again, we heard that voice from the heavens that says, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And we see the Holy Spirit come down and and land on him. So God is agreeing with John the Baptist's testimony about this guy, about the message that he has about Jesus. And he is adding to it even. He's saying, I approve and endorse this message. And Jesus did this, and it, and it, it pleased God. And this is the first of several examples where Jesus did exactly what God wanted him to do, or said exactly what God wanted him to say. He even makes that claim about himself. In John 8, 29, Jesus says, For I always do what pleases him, referring to the Father. He even did this to the point of taking on a cup of wrath and going to a criminal's death on the cross that he didn't deserve to do. We see him in the moments before his crucifixion praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, asking God the Father if there is any other way 
please take this cup from me, but your will be done, not mine. So he submits to the will of, of God the Father up to the point of his death. And at the same time as we get this voice coming down to endorse the message of Jesus and, and the person that is Jesus, it also reveals the triune nature of God. We actually, we call this the Trinity, but we see all three persons of the Trinity in this little passage. We see God the Father as the voice from heaven. We see Christ, the Son, getting baptized, and we see the Holy Spirit as a dove descending upon him. Jesus was fully God. He was the second part of the Trinity and is still to this day. And this is also imperative to the plan of salvation. Not only did he have to be sinless, but he needed to be fully God. This is tough to wrap our heads around because we're saying right now that, that Jesus is 100% of two things, which doesn't make sense when I, when I crunch those numbers. But it is true, and it is difficult to understand. In fact, over the last 2,000 years, it's given rise to several heresies or false teachings. Um, some examples being that Jesus was half God, half man. Another one being that Jesus was just a third manifestation of God, but only existed as, as one of those parts at any given time. Or a third, that Jesus was maybe just a special chosen man who, who God picked to carry out this task. But it's imperative that Jesus was fully God, that he was the second person of the Trinity. Because only a perfect God can actually take on the punishment for all sins for all time on the cross. If we go back to the, the example of maybe Jesus was just a chosen man, a special man who lived a perfect life, that'd be great for him. And he could die on the cross to pay the price for somebody's sins, but only one person, right? He wouldn't owe for his own life, but he, he could only pay for somebody else's, only one. We needed somebody who was somehow fully God and fully human to pay for the sins of all people. So he has, he has to be the second person of the Trinity, and, and this demonstrates that right at the start of his ministry. And beyond this, as just as I said, it's, it's equally important that he is fully human for this plan to work out. And that's the third thing that this baptism demonstrates. It is identifying with humanity in this moment. He, he doesn't just appear to be human, but he fully entered into the reality of, of humanity. Hebrews 2.14, we'll, we'll show, go back to this verse later, but I just want to read it to you guys quickly. It says, Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. And he did this to the point of even going to get baptized, even though he had no reason to. He had nothing to repent of. And all this stuff that I'm saying sounds paradoxical. And admittedly, it is. It really is. It's, it's tough to, to crack the nut of the Trinity. It's tough to understand exactly what that means. And if you guys have questions, I would encourage you. We actually have a sermon series we did last year around the same time about the Trinity where we tried to break that down and answer a lot of those questions. So I'd encourage you to check that out at PursueGod.org. But this is something that is beyond the frame of reference that I have as a human man. I, I can't understand, again, being 100% of two different things. But we should come away with this not necessarily confused, but understanding how amazing Jesus truly is. He is truly worthy of our attention, of our praise, of our faith, and our trust, because he has done something that is seemingly impossible. He is fully God and fully man and truly one of us. Now, another little message in, in the subtext of this, this passage is that if you guys believe this, you ought to get baptized. If Jesus did it, even though he didn't need to, and it pleased the Lord, we ought to be doing that same thing. It's a great way to tell the world that you have decided to turn from sin and turn towards Jesus. 
It doesn't save you, but it lets you identify yourself with him, with that faith. Romans 6 says it this way. It says this about baptism. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And that is great news. I get to live a new life away from from sin and fear and shame and live a new life in Christ Jesus because he was baptized to identify with humanity, even though he didn't need to be. And now we get to identify with him in the same way that he lived a sinless life to pay for sins he didn't commit. Now we get to identify with him and live in, in the glory of salvation that we haven't earned through this act. So again, this is the major function of Jesus' baptism. It's that it declared the start of his public ministry. It affirmed him as the second person of the Trinity, and it showed his willingness to identify with humanity. But we get to see that even more in what happens next, uh, because Jesus heads out to the wilderness led by the Holy Spirit, and he fasts out there for 40 days while being tempted by the devil. And this is a big deal, because the temptation in the wilderness was Jesus' opportunity to defeat Satan right from the beginning. Where mankind failed, Jesus came out victorious. Now, let's, let's read through that little part of this passage. It's, it's verses 12 and 13. It says, The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness, where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. He was out among the wild animals, and the angels took care of him. And this was another thing we talked about last week, was the significance of the wilderness, especially to this, this Jewish people. Uh, they would have immediately made a connection between 40 days and the 40 years that the Israelites spent in the wilderness uh, as they were on their way to the promised land. This is an Old Testament story um, where the Israelites, they used to be slaves in Egypt and they were led out by a man named Moses. And their intention was to go to this promised land right away, but they ended up having to spend 40 years in the wilderness because they kept messing up. God would give them tasks, he would give them commandments, he would give them ordinances, and they would mess up. They would turn the other way many times. And each time, God actually miraculously provided for them and forgave them. But every time he did that, they found another reason to complain. They found another reason to think God was wrong, or they found another reason to believe that they, they had a better way over here than what God said over here. But by contrast, Jesus passed his 40 days in the wilderness, being directly tempted by the devil himself, And he never, ever gave in. Now, this part isn't detailed here in the Gospel of Mark. He tells it so quickly, it's honestly comical. But in the other other Gospels, it says exactly what Satan was trying to do with Jesus. It says exactly what he told him. He twisted direct quotes from Scripture, which are the inspired words of God. And we know from the Gospel of John that Jesus is the Word of God. So Satan was quoting Jesus to himself trying to provoke him into misinterpreting his own words, his own promises, the promises of God. And when you think about it, this is a pretty smart thing that Satan does. Because he can say the truth, but get you to a different place. And he doesn't really care how close you get to the truth, as long as you don't get all the way there. It doesn't really matter to him where you end up, as long as you don't get to the truth. And this is... This is what he did for his first move in his gambit to to take over this world and bring it down into darkness. At the very beginning of Genesis, at the fall of man, Adam and Eve, when they ate from the knowledge of the tree, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, 
the direct quote that, that the, the serpent said to them to get them to eat this was, did God really say that? Did he really say that about, about this fruit? And they fell for it and they thought, no, well, maybe he didn't. Maybe it actually would be better if I ate this fruit. And that brought sin into the world. That was the first move that Satan made. And he does this now, too. He does this in culture as a whole. Well, the, the first example that comes to my mind is, is sometimes people will quote Scripture to you trying to excuse their own sin. For example, there's, there's the, the Scripture that says, Judge not lest you be judged. That's one that pretty much everybody has heard. And people will say that to you trying to excuse their actions, saying, You're not allowed to judge me. The Bible says so. But that's not what Jesus meant when he said that. He said, Handle your own stuff so that you can then help somebody live a sin, uh, sinless life, or as close to it as possible. But that gets twisted. Satan, Satan tells people to say that the wrong way, even though they say the right words. And thank goodness Jesus didn't fall for it. The wilderness in this story also has, has a little bit more significance in that it was, in the Bible, it was a place of desolation, but it was also a place, the word, the word that is translated here into wilderness, is a place of needed quiet. So not only did Jesus identify with humanity by going into the wilderness to, to, to defeat temptation that we would experience ourselves, but he also went out there, I think, because he was fully human and he knew what was coming. He knew he was going to die for the sins of all the world, and that's a heavy burden to bear. I believe that he needed to go out to this quiet place to spend some time with God the Father, to spend some time with the Holy Spirit, to, to really reckon with what was going to come to him. He needed some time alone. And the wilderness is also a place where God miraculously provides. Like I said, the Israelites in the wilderness, they were miraculously provided manna from heaven when they were hungry. They were miraculously provided water from a rock when they were thirsty. They were miraculously provided a cloud by day and a fire by night to guide them when they were lost. While we're in the wilderness, God miraculously provides. And I think it is such a beautiful story that, that God wove when he sent Jesus out to the wilderness to become the provision out there that we needed which is to say salvation from our sins. Maybe it's a need we don't even know that we have, but I can promise you, you have it. I have it. I need Jesus just as much now as I did the day that I first met him. And if Jesus didn't pass this test, all of humanity would be lost in, in our sins. And the devil was trying to take him out right here before he even got to come home and start his ministry, before he even started to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Satan was trying to take him out. And again, thank goodness Jesus didn't fall for it. He passed this test. He's greater than Israel. He's greater than us. He fulfills everything that God required of Israel. Where we fail before God, Jesus succeeds. And that's, that's a big deal. Where we get it wrong, Jesus gets it right. That's why he is qualified to be our savior. That's why he's qualified to represent us before God, to invite us to approach the throne boldly. That's why we can trust him to represent us. And that's really where it gets practical. It's, it's very comforting to know this. For me, personally, I, I'm so comforted to know that Jesus did all this and has experienced the same testing, the same temptation, in all the same ways as me. He understands my weaknesses much more than I would have ever thought an all-powerful God could have. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all of the same testings we did, yet he did not sin. So let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. 
Jesus will never, ever ask you to do something that he wouldn't do himself or that he couldn't do himself. You'll never face a temptation that Jesus wouldn't put himself up against and, and pass. And with that, that means we can and should come to him when we face temptation. He understands what we're facing. We're not coming to some high and mighty God who won't, who won't understand what we're going through. And while this was going on, God was also preparing Jesus for the work that he was going to do in the future. So this, again, the Spirit compelled him to go into the wilderness, which implies that it was God's idea. And because Jesus was fully human, he did veil and, and limit the use of some of his divine attributes. He didn't, he didn't he chose to shirk some of them. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, I don't have a slide for this one, sorry guys, but let me just read it to you. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now this, this, again, is in the book of Philippians, which is a letter written to the church in Philippi. And this would have been a powerful image to them at the time because that was part of the Roman Empire. So there would have been a lot of, of, of Roman culture around. And a practice in the Roman military was that an officer would take off his badge or his insignia of his rank before going into battle with the rest of his soldiers. And that would be in an effort to, to bring that superior person down to the same level, sharing in the same burden and frightening, like, frightening nature of this fight that they're going into. And it probably would have done a great job to raise morale for their soldiers to know, oh man, this guy who has earned this place above me is going to fight alongside me as an equal. <clears throat> and how much more amazing is it that we can respond to a God, an all-powerful, almighty God who does that, who gets us. And this is the point. Jesus, while being fully God and somehow fully man, made an effort to identify with us, becoming bound to flesh and blood, and then persevering through the same trials and temptations that we're put through day in and day out. And he did it so that he could succeed on our behalf and pass a test that we never could. He understands us and our weaknesses so much more than, than an all-powerful God you'd, you'd think would be able to. But now, how, how would we respond to that how would we respond to that message? Because it, it, it goes even beyond that. Like you, you guys might even be thinking, no one gets me or my circumstances even. But let me tell you this about Jesus. He experienced homelessness. He knew what it was like to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be accused of things that he never did. He knew what it was like to be lied to. He knew what it was like to be abandoned and betrayed. Whatever you are going through, whatever circumstance you, has, you have, I would argue that Jesus understands them better than anybody could. Whatever you are experiencing, he gets it and he gets you. And now, how do we respond to that? How do we respond to that? I would say, since Jesus did so much to become like us, we should respond by trusting him. And there's no better time than now to repent and believe. Let's, let's look at what Jesus did as soon as he came home. It says, later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now, Jesus was clearly excited when he came home. He was excited to, to get out the good news of God to everybody. 
And it was good news that the Israelites didn't necessarily see coming because they were expecting a Messiah who was going to come in and conquer the Roman Empire and push them back out of Israel and give them their land back and become their king. But we got way better news than that when he came. We got the gospel, which is a very churchy word that you've probably heard a lot. And even if you've grown up in church, you might not even know exactly what it means because we just say it all the time. But it's as simple as good news. It is the word that's translated good news. And it is the good news that this conquering Messiah has come. But he didn't conquer their oppressors, the Roman Empire at the time. He didn't give them their land back the way that they expected. But he conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered the grave. And he firmly planted himself in humanity by being tempted and tried so that he could do that for us, so that he could pay a price that he didn't know for our hearts, for our salvation. I want to revisit that verse in Hebrews because it says, it says this very well. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And that is even better news than before. Anybody who is subject to lifelong slavery through the fear of death can be delivered. That's a big promise. And if we look again at what Jesus said, he says the time promised by God has come at last. And God doesn't break promises. And, and, and he's been preparing the way this whole time. The Israelites didn't understand it. They didn't understand all the prophecies surrounding Jesus, and I don't blame them. I probably would not have either at the time. But then John the Baptist comes on the scene, and he is explicitly sent to prepare the way for Jesus. And now the time has come. And you can interpret time here in, a, in various ways, but I would say it doesn't, it doesn't apply to just that period of time while Jesus was here on earth, while he was alive. I don't think that's what it means. I think that it's talking about a new season of opportunity starting then, stretching till now and beyond that we can capitalize in too. A season of opportunity for us to acknowledge this good news, this plan of salvation. And Jesus says some, some really cool stuff that implies it's not limited to just that time. He said himself, before Abraham was, I am. Which is a really clever turn of phrase that he did at the time because the people he was talking to, that would have meant another example of him saying, I'm God. Because that's what he said. I am God. But he also says with just those few words that before Abraham was in the past, I still am. And I will continue to be now and forever. Salvation has been made available to you through this. And it's not limited to just that moment. And it's not limited to some future thing that you have to look forward to. You don't have to wait any longer for salvation. You do not. You can receive that today. You can receive this deliverance from lifelong slavery to sin and to death. And the good news is also that God's kingdom is near. Next week, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be defining what the kingdom of God is because it can be really enigmatic. I am actually very excited to hear the sermons because sometimes I'm not sure what this means. <clears throat> but for now, let's just look at the response that Jesus called us to have. He says, repent of your sins and believe the good news. He says, repent. And again, that is an active changing of your mind and your heart. It is turning from one thing 
a sinful way of life and turning towards a God-honoring relationship with Jesus. It is a change. It's not just a choice. And he says, believe the good news. And this means more than just knowing about it or knowing what to say about it. This means trust Jesus. Trust him that he told the truth, that he came and he is able to pay for your sins, that he came and he is fully God, fully man, lived a sinless life, and died to pay for our sins. And this is great because we now have a reason to hope that a lot of other people in the world don't have if they haven't heard this news. We have reason to hope for an eternity spent with Jesus that we can't earn, that we could never deserve. And I'd encourage you guys now, if, if you've never responded to Jesus in this way, I, I would encourage you to, to come up and ask, ask me about that or ask Pastor John about that after, after the service. We would love to guide you through that or tell you a little bit more about what that means. Um, and I, I would just encourage you, if you feel God pulling on your heart right now, calling you to faith, don't wait any longer to respond. Respond now. You don't have to wait. You can respond to Jesus and it's an incredible feeling, and it is an incredible thing that will change your life, I can tell you for sure, because you're going to respond to a God who gets you, who understands exactly what you're going through right now and forever. Let's pray. God, we lift you up this morning and, and just glorify you and praise you for the miraculous plan that you, you put in place to save us all from, from ourselves, from our sin. God, we praise you that you are an amazing being that can be fully God, fully man. You are a trinity of persons, God. We, we, we praise you for that, that it's, it was used for our good and, and continues to be. God, I ask, I ask that anybody in the congregation today who, who is feeling a pull on their heart to, to come to faith in you, God, I ask that you would give them the boldness to, to talk to somebody about that, whether that's John or, or myself or just one of their friends in, in their life that, that can help them through that, God. I ask that you, that you would give them the boldness to do that. God, if you are calling anybody to you today, please let them respond. In Jesus' name, amen.